0: 1208. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. We'll continue to keep you updated on the weather. It doesn't sound like this is going to be too much of an event. But again, whenever snow falls, sometimes people, particularly early in the season, decide that they're going to forget how to drive. So keep it tuned. We'll keep you updated on what's going on in the roads. A lot of stuff to cover on today's program. Of course, the story out of New York is you have a 27-year-old guy from Bangladesh who decides he's going to do his best impersonation of a suicide bomber, shows up outside one of the subway stations at the Port Authority, and apparently I, the details are going to be emerging. It sounds like he had a kind of like a homemade pipe bomb. And I will tell you from another life, these are, they are unfortunate. They're nasty buggers. They're just nasty buggers. And um, one of the problems, if it, if it is in fact a pipe bomb, is... Um, one of the ways they find out people who manufacture pipe bombs is that they, they they tend to go off a lot of times in the hands of the people who are making them and that's precisely what apparently happened here guy wearing the pipe bomb um, attempted suicide bombing and the thing went off and a couple people were injured a lot of people were scared but the person most seriously injured was the twenty seven year old guy from Bangladesh and um It is difficult for me to work up too much particular sympathy. If you're going to be a suicide bomber and you screw it up, well, um, I'm not too terribly sympathetic, and my guess is he will be spending, hopefully, the rest of his life as a guest of the U.S. government in a federal prison somewhere. But again, it does kind of raise these questions. I mean, here's somebody that came into this country seven years ago. What has he been doing? You wouldn't think that just one day you wake up and decide, today's the day I'm going to go down to the subway and try to blow myself up and take as many people as I possibly can with a pipe bomb. But, you know, maybe maybe this was exactly what happened, but I tend to doubt it. Okay, we start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one. If the mainstream media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the NBC News, the ABC News, the CNNs of the world want to stop being accused of, Of throwing out fake news well my first suggestion is don't throw out fake news now last week one of the big stories involved an ABC reporter named Brian Ross who had broken big stories over his career but he'd gotten a lot of stuff wrong Ross was suspended without pay from ABC News because he he released this breathless report um, saying that, that President Trump, Michael Flynn, former security advisor, who ended up pleading guilty to lying to the FBI about whether or not he met with Russian ambassadors, Brian Ross sends out a story, does a story, saying that President Trump, during the campaign, had ordered Flynn to meet with the Russians. And you will remember, this caused the stock market to crater, because this, if it was true, would have been evidence at least potential evidence that the Trump campaign before or during the election was trying to collude with the Russians, which is what, uh, again, some of the people, some people who are anti-Trumpers have been hoping it was going to be the case. So they send out this report saying, oh, Trump ordered Flynn to meet with the Russians before the election. Oh, we've got him. We've got him. We've got him. Well, it turns out that story was completely and totally wrong. Instead, the real story was that after Trump was elected, after the election, Trump had directed Flynn to meet, or somebody with the Trump campaign had directed Flynn to start meeting with the Russians, which would probably not, in all likelihood, that is not an illegal thing to do, but you, you can't collude to win, and that's not evidence that you colluded on an election that is already over. Um, I, I think, quite candidly, that's something that would be routine. I mean, if I was the president-elect, I'd want to be hitting the ground running, and it wouldn't necessarily be surprising that I would be having people who are going to be part of my administration meeting with you know, dignitaries or people with foreign governments for the idea of laying the groundwork for when you take over. So anyhow, Brian Ross got the story spectacularly wrong. All right. It gets worse, though. On Friday, two things happened, one smaller, one bigger. Um, President Trump was having this, this huge, was having a huge, having a rally in Pensacola, Florida. And the rally was to rev up the base. But also, even though it was in Pensacola, Florida, you've got the Alabama election that is coming up tomorrow. So it was also, I think, designed to kind of gin up some support for Roy Moore. All right. So what happens is there's a guy who's a Washington Post columnist. His name is Dave Weigel. He's down there. And he decides to send out on his personal Twitter account, not the Washington Post Twitter account, he sends out a picture of the arena where the event is going to be. And the picture of this says, I'm kind of down here, and it says it, it's, you know, it's, it's empty. He said, look, you know, this is, um, you know, and of course the implication of the tweet is that, all right, Trump's the bloom is off the Trump rose. Here, I'm in this arena, and there, there's almost nobody in there. Ah, ha 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 Well, okay, there's a reason, as it turns out, why there was nobody in there. And that is that this picture that he put out on his personal Twitter account, he's there several hours before the arena has even opened up. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of like going to Lambeau Field if the game is at eight o'clock is at noon and go in there at seven thirty in the morning and saying, Look This shows the problems the NFL is having. It's an empty stadium. Well, yes, it was a largely empty arena, but they hadn't even started admitting people or many people as of yet. The place ended up being completely and totally full, but you send this out creating this idea that, oh, people are turning their backs on Trump. Well, after that got exposed, the guy immediately said, well, I was just kidding. Well, you wouldn't have known that if you were following it. But then the biggest thing that happened on Friday was the the CNN report, which still has people shaking their heads as to how this can happen. Now, two thousand on September thirteenth. Follow me here for just a minute. On September thirteenth of two thousand sixteen, WikiLeaks made that made public that huge document dump with all the the stolen Hillary Clinton emails and on all that stuff. Sep, the big date, September thirteenth. Of 2016, WikiLeaks releases all the Hillary Clinton emails. CNN comes up with this breathless report Friday. And this was happening while I was in the air. I was kind of watching as this was as evolving. And their report, supposedly verified by two sources, was that there was an email to Donald Trump Jr. on September 4th saying, hey, you should look at all these emails with a link to what was eventually the document dump. Okay, so the implication of the CNN story, and you can see, here comes the impeachment train. The implication was, um, nine days before the WikiLeaks documents become public, somebody was reaching out to Donald Trump Jr. and offering them all this information. Again, The implication is collusion, all these things. Huge story, and CNN's running with it. The Washington Post picks it up. It's Wall Street Journal picks it up. It's all over the wire services. These are two of the CNN reporters. They say they've got two sources. September 4th, this was offered to Donald Trump Jr. Well, never mind. Turns out that the email that was sent to Donald Trump Jr. offering these WikiLeaks stuff, it didn't come out on September 4th. It came out on September 14th, one day after all the stuff had been made public. So it's kind of like, well, the difference would be, I don't know, somebody sending me an email saying, Jeff, nobody knows about this. I've got this exclusive scoop just for you here and send me that document. As opposed to, gee, Jeff, did you see this story that was out there in public? It is a complete and total difference. So as it turns out, CNN got it completely and totally wrong. And, and it and it's a big deal. I mean, that, that 10 days makes a big difference. Donald Trump Jr., if he gets this offer on September 4th, reasonable implication is, hey, there was somebody from WikiLeaks who was trying to peddle this stuff nine days in advance. Who was Trump colluding with? Well, as it turns out, nothing, because this email was instead sent on September 14th, 10 days after the fact, 10 days later, and one day after the whole thing was public. And CNN got it wrong, just like the Washington Post got it wrong, just like ABC News got it wrong. Four one four seven nine is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I understand the mainstream media hates it hates it when donald trump labels them as purveyors of fake news and of course you know trump really you know went after them bad after these last series of mistakes but here is the problem And, and i think it's something that newsrooms have to look at i believe there is active hatred of donald trump i believe that that coupled with this this desire to, we want to be the first news outlet to break the information that's going to lead to his impeachment. We we know that there's a Watergate somewhere, and we want to be Woodward and Bernstein. We want to be the people that have this story. So as a result, whenever something comes in that is explosive, we are not going to vet it like we otherwise would. You would never... I think see stuff like this going on if this was Barack Obama, but there is such a desire now to want to believe that Donald Trump has done something which should lead to impeachment, that all the normal journalistic standards are going out the window, and as a result, I think it is fair... Whenever there is a negative story about the president, and there's almost always negative stories, to wonder whether it is accurate or not. And if the media doesn't like the label of fake news, I, I think what they need to do is stop putting out fake news. Four one four seven nine is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, look, I, I think stuff like this is leading to an active distrust of the mainstream media, and it is all self-induced. I saw this story when I was on the air, like I say, Friday afternoon. I was watching it develop. I didn't talk about it at first because, candidly, any time there's a negative story about Donald Trump nowadays, I think there's almost got to be a, a 24 or 36-hour window where you wait to see whether or not this is wrong. Three classic examples of this just in the last, well, couple days. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Are they out to get him? Is the mainstream media out to get him, and is this hurting their credibility? My answer is yes. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. It's 1219. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, coming up in less than five minutes. If you live in Oak Creek, what the Oak Creek School Board, Oak Creek Franklin School Board, is planning to do to you is nothing short of shameful. And the question becomes, will you allow them to get away with it? But right now we're talking about this fake news situation. It is just amazing to me that the mainstream media, in its hatred of President Trump, look, and I think there's all sorts of stuff that the president does that deserves to be criticized. But what is going on now is there is a a race to see who can break that story that leads to the impeachment of Donald Trump. And as a result... Um, People are getting it wrong on a regular basis. Um, Here's one of our texts. If the press had a negative story about Obama, it would require major amounts of due diligence before they would run with it. With Trump, it takes only a few minutes. I love how Trump makes a point of calling them out for fake news so the price of poker goes up. Um, Yes. I, here's another one. I was working from home last week and had CNN on in the background. Why? It was ten straight hours of Trump bashing. Yeah, that that's what what is here. Uh, the. The media is, in general, thin-skinned. They do not respond well to criticism. Donald Trump has been made taking, is made taking on them to a cottage industry. All right, so I understand they don't like to be accused of fake news or things like that. But yet, again and again and again, you get stories, significant stories, about the leader of the free world that are wrong. And and they're just inexcusably wrong. So after this all happens, the president issues a couple tweets. Here's what he says. Very little discussion of the purposely false and defamatory stories put out this week by the fake news media. They are out of control. Correct reporting means nothing to them. Major lies written, then forced to be withdrawn after they are exposed. A stain on America. And you know what? If they don't like hearing that, well, they shouldn't do it. Here's the thing about the Washington Post guy. Trump sends out an email. Dave Weigel of the Washington Post just admitted that his picture was fake. This is the picture saying, oh, Trump's having a rally and there's nobody here. Well, it's taken several hours before the rally. Uh, Dave Weigel of the Washington Post just admitted that his picture was a fake fraud, showing an almost empty arena last night for my speech in Pensacola, when in fact he knew the arena was packed as shown on TV. Fake news. He should be fired. And then the CNN story, which to me is just inexcusable. CNN, this is what they said. Our initial reporting on the date of an email sent to members of the Trump campaign about WikiLeaks documents, which was confirmed by two sources to CNN, was incorrect. Huh. Well, what does that tell you about your sources to CNN? Here's what the president says. Fake news. CNN made a vicious and purposeful mistake yesterday. They were caught red-handed, just like the lonely Brian Ross at ABC News, who should be immediately fired for his mistake. Watch to see if CNN fires those responsible, or was it just gross incompetence? Well, all those are very, very valid points. And I understand that the media wants to set itself up, And as a watchdog, the media is supposed to be the the entity that keeps people in government straight. Well, that's not what is going on now. And Lord knows President Trump does enough that he deserves legitimate criticism. But what you have now, like I say, it is the rush to break the big story that is going to bring Trump down. That's what they're looking for. And in that rush, they are getting it wrong over and over and over again to the point that it really it does make you wonder what is going on with journalism nowadays. Now, you see this in other ways as well. John Doe, the John Doe investigation, the out-of-control John Doe investigation in in Wisconsin, it happened in part because the news media took sides. The main newspapers in this state decided they didn't like Scott Walker. They wanted to see Walker brought down. They decided that, well, we know that there were crimes committed, so we are going to overlook all the abuses that the investigators were going through. And as it turns out, there were no crimes. And it now turns out that the mainstream media, the Journal Sentinel, the Madison Papers, they all end up with egg on their face for not doing their job in trying to police the regulators. This is what happens when a media takes sides. All right, speaking of taking sides, the school board in Oak Creek is taking sides against the taxpayers. We'll discuss next. It's 1227. This is Jeff Wagner. 1234, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Oak Creek School Board. It's actually, technically, it's the Oak Creek Franklin School District. It's just a tiny sliver of Franklin that's in this, but but it's basically Oak Creek. Let me just give you the background on what these bandits are getting ready to do. Um. As, after Scott Walker took over and the Republicans took over the state legislature, one of the things that has helped rein in property taxes is that there are, are caps on school spending. Schools are limited as to what you can spend. The exception to that is let's say you want a big project. Let's say you, you know, you you want to build that addition or you want to build a new school or you want to make massive improvements or enlargements or whatever. You can do that. You just have to go to a referendum. You have to convince the voters of the particular district that the referendum is worthwhile. The school districts, the school boards and the school superintendents hate that. They hate the idea that they have to convince you little people you voters out there, you taxpayers, they hate the idea that they, you, they have to convince you that you should spend more money. All right. So they have been in many school districts actively trying to figure out ways to get around going to the referendum process because every once in a while, the little people rise up and they say, no, we're not going to go along with this spending. Well, since 2010, there has been a provision in the law which uh, allows school districts, and this is—it's—it's it's kind of morphed as you had the referendum caps that were put on—that allows school districts to avoid having to go to a, a referendum, simply um, if it's for energy-related projects. So, if it's an energy-related project, you can do it with simply a majority of the school board members voting for it. This was never intended for massive construction projects or improvement projects. This was intended to give people flexibility. The, the school's boiler goes out in January, all right, and it's going to cost $120,000 to fix the boiler. This was intended to say, okay, the school board, faced with this small project, you can replace the boiler. you you, You don't have to go to a referendum. You can do it. I mean, that's what it was intended to do. Everybody agrees with that. Well, that's not how school boards have been using it, because if you think about it, almost any construction project has an energy component to it. We're going to build a new. We're, we're going to build a new wing, but we're going to put in higher efficiency windows. Okay, well, that, that's got an energy component to it. The windows are going to be more energy efficient than they were before. We're going to. Um, we want to do all new lighting in, in the schools. We're going to do this big remodeling project, and we're going to include higher efficiency fluorescent fluorescent lights. Then we have our, our old fixtures that 's an energy component we don 't have to go to referendum, so this is how this thing has been abused over the years. Um, school districts have used these provisions that again were intended for small projects. You need the new hot water heater you need the new you know heater that 's going to fix that 's going to do the boiler those type of things. Wisconsin schools have raised let 's see as of well, as of about a year ago, um, $217 million without going to referendum above tax caps for these green projects. It's kind of become that this cottage industry, we're going to spend all this money, but we're going to call it energy efficiency. And I guess in the broadest sense, yeah, it does. You, you build a new wing and you put in new higher energy efficiency windows. Yeah, but that's not what this was intended for. Well, the legislature wised up to this and they caught on as to what was going on. So what they said is nope, no no more of this. That this you can't use this exception to get around going to referendum. But interestingly, they made it maybe this was a mistake by the legislature. They made it in the last budget process, effective January 1st. Right? Effective January 1st. So what has been happening is there has been this rush to try to spend taxpayer money before this law goes into effect in an effort to try to avoid going to referendum. Now, like I say, if if school districts want to spend the money, it's fine. You just have to ask permission of the voters, but they don't like that. Well, what is going on in Oak Creek is just, it's just breathtaking. Because what Oak Creek is trying to do is rush through What's ultimately going to be thirty-four million dollars in spending? They, they they say it's twenty-five million, but by the time you factor in like the interest costs, it's going to be thirty-four million dollars, and they're trying to get it passed. This is something that really, they say they've been thinking about it for a long time, but it's something that's really just come up in the last month or two. They want $34 million, that includes, again, the interest payments, to make energy improvements to the schools. Here's the best part of this. They haven't even specified what energy improvements they want. It's just like, give us, we want a blank check. We have all these different schools that have energy efficiency needs. Um, we want essentially a blank check to be able to spend this as we want. And they are on the verge of rushing this through. Uh, there's been very little notification of this. This The fact that they were doing this was apparently nestled in a board meeting minutes, Um, So the general public really didn't find out about this. Uh, The school board is going to be voting on the issue December 11th. That is that's today. Um, Oak Creek residents have really not heard about this as a general rule, and they're trying to slip this through. They're also supposed to have like an independent study performed, but well, what they did is they apparently, um, actually, th- the study that, that they have is they went out and apparently they, they hired a firm who does work, (laughs) who works in this area to say, gee, we have all these different needs. But the bottom line is this is being rushed through in an effort to try to avoid the intent of the law. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand in some respects, if you don't live in Oak Creek or that sliver of Franklin, you say, who cares? I mean, what what, what difference does this make? Uh, But at the same time. This, to me, also demonstrates this larger issue. And it shows why I think people have every right to lose trust in public officials who try to manipulate things to try to get around what is clearly the intent of the law and to potentially screw over their constituents. Now, look, I take no position at all on whether or not the taxpayers of Oak Creek should shell out an additional 25 or $34 million to, you know, put in new windows or new lighting or whatever at different schools. I, I don't – I take no position on that. What I think is outrageous, though, is that the school board is doing this in a conscious effort – to avoid giving the taxpayers of Oak Creek an opportunity to vote on this in a referendum. If you believe that this is necessary, fine. Present it to the taxpayers and let them say yay or nay. But again, it's staggering here that this money that they're asking for isn't even designated for certain projects. It's not even like they're saying, hey, we're going to spend $12 million to and it'll put in new insulation at, you know, Apple Jam Turnaround School. That's not what it is. It's just like, well, we've got all these energy needs. We're going to take this money and then spend it like we want moving forward. 414-799-1620. There's just two words to describe what is going on to you folks in Oak Creek, and that is it stinks. Let's start with Dennis in Kenosha. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, we had the same thing go on in Kenosha last uh, summer, uh, roofing projects that were supposed to be for energy efficiency, and well, there was a certain component to it. Well, well sure, yeah, overall... you put on a
0: new roof, you add a little bit of insulation. Okay, so there's an energy component, but essentially it's the new roof, yeah.
1: Exactly. These projects should have been covered under the Capital Improvement Plan. And then uh, the reason that they did this is so they didn't have to go to the referendum and it would get voted down. But this is uh, scummy.
0: It is. It it is. And, of course... You know, most people, their, their eyes glaze over with this, or you say, well, you know, it's not in my community. But this, I mean, I guess the, the biggest fault, maybe it's the legislature, because when they got rid of this loophole, maybe they should have made it effective immediately. They trusted, for example, elected officials in Oak, Rooks, Oak Creek, starting with the superintendent, to do the right thing. And you can't trust these people. They're snakes, I guess.
1: No, you can. And I asked some questions. I said, where is the money coming from? And and if you remember in Kenosha, they were involved in the collateral do- debt obligation uh, lawsuit with, uh, I think, four other school districts and they got reimbursed and maybe the money's coming from there. Well, I should I say, hey, that should be in the general fund. And if improvements, I mean, capital improvements are capital improvements, you know, a roof, new windows, that's not something that you go to a referendum for a new building or construction right. expenses, this is ridiculous.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, thanks for the call. You see, I mean, and this is the, and again, I, I want to be real clear here, I, I, I take no position, I, I wanted to say this, I, I don't know whether this is ultimately going to be justified spending or, or not. I, I don't. But I do know that the process they are using in Oak Creek is appalling, because what they are trying to do is directly to circumvent the law because they don't want to go to referendum. What should happen is if you want $35 million for energy improvements, number one, they should have to list out where that money is going to be spent, not just ask or expect a blank check from the taxpayers. We need X million dollars for this. We need X million dollars for that. That's number one. They should spell it out. And number two, they should go to a referendum and let the voters decide. And if you need this, well, OK, that that's fine. Go with God. You you need it. I'm cool with that. But this process is awful. And, you know, it's apparently going to happen tonight. Tony in North Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So my wife is actually on the school board for Oak Creek. Right. And not everyone that's on the school board actually agrees with all of this stuff. So Fair I enough. just want to make sure that you're not just throwing everybody under the bus and
0: that it's a collective
2: thing. And it's really it's not because some of the people really don't agree with what's going on there.
0: What does your wife think about this? I don't I don't want to put words in her mouth, but what does she think about what's going on?
2: She does not agree with how they're going about this. You know, yes, they need money, but yeah. the way that they're going about it, she does not agree with.
0: Is this going to pass, do you think?
2: I Honestly, I don't know because I'm not on the board. Right. I'm not in the room. You know, we don't discuss that kind of stuff for obvious reasons.
0: Okay. All right. No, fair, fair enough, Tony. I, I guess the, the way this is being presented, because it, it was forwarded on. And, and I think that that's fair enough. And we'll be watching what happens. And we will tell you what, Tony, I promise we will name names tomorrow. You know, if this vote doesn't take fact take place tonight, we will. And I think that that's fair enough. And we'll see. Who it is that actually votes for what I think is an end run. And again, I, I guess maybe this is the lesson moving forward for the governor and the legislature. You know, for, for all the people that talk about local control and wanting this, well, you, you at least there are the school superintendent in Oak Creek and at least certain members of the school board, frankly, they have demonstrated they cannot be trusted to do the right thing. And, and that's where the aggravation is. But we'll, I prom, uh, fair enough. That. We will name names one way or the other. But people who live in Oak Creek, again, you, you, should, you should be showing up with pitchforks tonight. Seriously, figuratively speaking, that is, for what the school board is trying to do to you, or at least what the school superintendent is trying to push the school board to do. And what I'm told there's a majority of the school board that favors, that is to screw you over as taxpayers. Let's talk to Bob in Sheboygan. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hi, but I, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering, are they doing this on uh, backdoor closed deals, like you always hear uh, throughout the state of Wisconsin, or did they just find this out in some minutes that were uh, discussed?
0: My understanding, and again, I, I my, my understanding, and and I, I have. I have some of the stuff that some of the opponents have been forwarding to me to be candid. My understanding is that the superintendent did not explicitly notify residents like he normally does with larger issues. Instead, this was the phrase I'm seeing nested in board meeting minutes, (laughs) which might be enough for as far as the law is concerned. But this is something they were trying to do secretly. They were trying to slide this through. I guarantee you. Oh, of course. Right. Um, No, thanks. Right. And that and see, and again, that that's another. It's just an underhanded way of going about things. If you need the money and and again, it's fine. If you need the money, do it in an honest, upright way. But I will tell you this. Everybody on that school board who votes for this tonight should be out of a job because they are doing this in an underhanded, slimy fashion designed to, uh, again, circumvent what is clearly the intent of the law and to take away the will of the taxpayers, period. 1249, this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I was just listening to that Warren Zevon record the other day. Love Werewolves of London, absolutely love it. All right, um, coming up at this, in about 10 minutes or so, big story number three. Um, this controversy over carry, contractors carrying guns in Milwaukee continues, but it's taken, if possible, an even weirder turn, and we're going to talk about that. And, yes, I am going to be discussing the. There, there's this new movie that's coming out um, featuring the, the women who accused... Donald Trump, before he was president, of sexual harassment, you know, these are all stories that came out during the course of the campaign. Well, okay, in part to promote, I think, the new movie, a couple of these women are going out and they're doing interviews. They were on um, Megyn Kelly's show today. There's a press conference on today's show. And, you know, they're demanding that there be a congressional investigation. We're going to take that on. We're going to take that on head-on, and I I suspect my comments aren't going to please at least some of you about this. But that's been the big story that at least three of the women who've, who've, again, we're not plowing new ground here. What we're doing is we're, again, going over stuff that was out that the public apparently didn't care about when it voted in November and elected Donald Trump. We will talk about that coming up in just a little bit. Speaking of of abuses, and going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this program, um, in the Wall Street Journal today, the editorial opinion, there, the editorial page, there's an op-ed written by Wisconsin State Senator Leah Vukmir, candidate for the Republican Senate nomination this year to take on Tammy Baldwin. And I know Leah's been making the rounds of different shows. I mean, she was on a couple of our programs on TMJ. Um, the, the piece is called An Attack on My Privacy in Wisconsin's Political War. Elena, let me share a portion with, it, with you. Elena, I have something to, I need to tell you. Those were the first words I said to my 29-year-old daughter Thursday afternoon. I was calling to let her know that according to the Wisconsin Department of Justice's report released Thursday, my personal emails along with approximately 500,000 of those belonging to my colleagues in the Wisconsin Senate and other Republican leaders were acquired in a John Doe investigation. The emails had been kept in the Government Accountability Board building in an unsecured file called Opposition Research. Personal emails with Elena were included. I had learned. Some of our emails even involved discussion for medical records. These communications didn't belong in the hands of the government, but were collected as part of a politically motivated investigation into Governor Scott Walker. Under Wisconsin law, prosecutors can ask a judge to authorize a John Doe investigation which is intended to protect the wrongly accused and allow investigators the ability to establish probable cause before filing charges. But in a gross manipulation of the law, in 2012, a liberal judge named Barbara Kluca allowed Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm, a Democrat, to conduct a secret investigation into whether Governor Walker had broken campaign finance laws. He had not. Mr. Chisholm weaponized an arm of the government, which was supposed to be Wisconsin's ethics watchdog, to issue broad subpoenas and warrants for documents. The agency even worked with law enforcement to conduct paramilitary raids on people's homes. These raids and seizures were the result of mere accusations of campaign finance violations for which there was no basis. As it turns out, investigators at the Wisconsin Government Accountability Board took it upon themselves to acquire the personal emails of Republican politicians, including me. And then she goes on to talk about how they no longer exist. The the board's been done away with. This is a dark day in Wisconsin political history. What John Chisholm did was appalling. What the Government Accountability Board, the former Government Accountability Board, and some of its lawyers did was appalling contempt citation should be issued. And we need to learn moving forward that there are people who are politically motivated who will, again, weaponize the law to try to advance their own goals. And as I said at the start of the show, part of the blame for this lies solely and squarely in the hands of in general, the mainstream news media around here who wanted to get Scott Walker. They wanted to bring Walker down, and so they turned a blind eye to these various abuses because they thought the end justifies the means, and they look horrible as well. It's 1257. When we come back, contractors carrying guns in Milwaukee. The story gets even weirder, and women coming forward about Donald Trump What does it all mean? Stick around. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A lot of stuff going on today. Big story number three. And it's amazing to me how we get wrapped up in trivia, how we fail to see, in many cases, the forest for the trees, to use the the uh, cliché. Uh, for, for a week, it seems like the Milwaukee Common Council has been tied up in knots over the, this. It started off with this photograph, was put on some social media sites, of three white. Now I say white because other people said white and they've tried to racialize this. Three white contractors carrying guns at a job site. All right. now, my guess is, my guess is there's black contractors that carry guns on in some high crime areas as well. But uh, I, I digress. So you have these three guys that are carrying firearms. All right, then there is this, this huge outrage. There's this huge outrage. You have a number, of particularly African American politicians, who are outraged that that people would would go to job sites and carry firearms. All right. Well, to me, as I said repeatedly last week, you're missing the point. To to all the Aldermen, the, the Malale Cogs, and the the Russell Stamper of the seconds who who are upset by this. Maybe what you should be more concerned with is the fact that crime in some areas of the city of Milwaukee is so out of control that contractors or other citizens or people working these areas Feel the need to do it, and, and we took phone calls from people who talked about how you know they had been run, not necessarily as contractors for the city, but working in the city. How they had been robbed as they're leaving job sites. How their cars had been broken into. How their tools had been stolen. You know, we took calls from people who said, "Yeah, we run security companies, and we get hired to provide security at job sites." So you would think that rather than being outraged that a couple people working as for contractors who work for the city have brought firearms, you would be concerned about the safety overall of citizens but of course that's not what this is all about you know th- that's something that well you know it's just crime's not our problem and if our constituents are getting you know robbed and carjacked and all well you know we'll tisk that but heaven forbid you should have people who carried guns all right that then morphed into th- this ongoing conversation and again some people playing the the race card there was purportedly a racist email that was sent to two aldermen, and they went public with it. And as I said on Friday, um, this email has been turned over to the Milwaukee Police Department for investigation, and and I hope they are able to find the perpetrator, because whoever sent it, um, if this really was a legitimate email, um, I I think, obviously, whoever sent it deserves to be prosecuted. I said yesterday, I was on Friday, though, this... There's stuff about this email that strikes me as funny, but not funny as in ha but funny as in odd, in that, for example, if you were somebody trying to write the stereotypic e- uh, stereotypical email trying to depict, a, you know, a racist thing. This would have all the different elements to it, which, again, I, I am I saying it's a hoax? No, I, I'm not. But I, I am very curious, and I hope the investigators figure out who was actively responsible behind this. All right, so then you've got that backdrop. Then, of course, you have the latest photo on Social media, which is going to be leading to rallies uh, this this afternoon, apparently on one of the the job sites, one of the job sites that involves this American Sewer Services. Somebody sees a picture of a a cooler, tiny cooler, and it's got a Confederate flag on it, and it's got a KKK bumper sticker on it. Okay, well, I I mean, obviously, if the if the purpose if the person really believes in that that is appalling if the person was trying to you know make a point that's appalling as well um, the point being well here if you're going to call us racist we'll act like that if it was satire it's not funny if it's true racism it's it's not funny um, some people suggest this might even have been a plant I, I don't know plant as in you know somebody's going to post this there one of the job sites that this company was working on, not the job site where the photos with the guns was, was apparently targeted for, like, graffiti, racists go home, et cetera, et cetera. So all that's going on. Again, it's the, the underlying the, – the thing – it's just so interesting to me that this is now turned into, let's play the race card, where the underlying – the the issue should be – at least the major issue. And again, if you've got a couple racist workers, or somebody's somebody's bringing a cooler that says KKK on it, well, obviously that person should be fired. That's not. That's to me not even close. But the big issue that we should be talking about is, is the crime problem in the city of Milwaukee and the fact that you know contractors can't work on job sites safely. So this is kind of like the, the shiny object that distracts us from what the real concern should be, which is what Why is it so unsafe in the city of Milwaukee? Okay, so now with all this history, you have the conversation about whether or not the the contractor who does the work and they have many job sites and apparently they've got you know close to like a million dollars in, in contracts with with the city. So now there is an issue as to whether American Sewer Services, which is based out of Hartford, I believe. Should lose its city contracts. Let me read you a portion of the story. Alderman Robert Bauman said uh, the job site at North Twenty Fifth and West Wells Streets belongs to American Sewer Services. This is the thing where the the cooler was found. The same company that employed the gun toting workers. This is very clearly a direct racist image referencing an avowed you know hate group. Okay, and fine that that's he's right about that. Bauman predicted a push to bar American sewer services from getting city contracts, saying he would support that effort if it's legal. All right. Um, And then he goes on to say that uh, the city needs to take more dramatic steps and move away from working with contractors altogether. The only answer is not to contract with anybody anymore. Can we regulate the states of minds of these contractors? Probably not. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. That my understanding is the three gun-toting workers in the picture, one was fired, two were disciplined, including suspensions without pay. All right, this is a contractor that does all sorts of work all across the city on various projects. 4147991620. I think it is ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous to start talking about pulling city contracts or banning an otherwise good contractor. Because a couple of its employees felt the necessity to bring firearms onto a job site or because you find a cooler on one of the job sites, you know, that's got this KKK bumper this sticker on it, which, you know, if the person really belongs to the KKK, the person is a racist. If they were trying to be clever, that's an issue, too. But pull the contract of this contractor? Really? 414-799-1620. That's the accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think that's extreme, period. And extreme is not the right word. I think it's ridiculous. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Now, clearly, if you have employees that are violating a particular work rule, fine. You tell them, look, look guys, you, you can't bring guns to the job site. It violates the city rule. Or maybe it violates the company's rule. If they violate it, you discipline, you fire them. But you're going to pull the work of the company? Come on. Let's start with John in Wauwatosa. John, you're first. Good afternoon.
2: Yes, sir. I agree with those men being able to arm themselves because I, I worked for American Sewer Services for a number of years. They're an excellent company. They do excellent work. Um, and those guys out there are my union brothers. And I mean, we should be able to arm ourselves. If, mm-hmm. if you would see some of the conditions that we've had to work under, you know, cars. Speeding by at seventy miles an hour on a thirty mile an hour road—just general dangerous behavior anywhere east of Sixtieth Street. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, right. Well, I mean, I guess. It, look, if if the city's rules are. You're not allowed to bring firearms onto work sites. I I think the city has a right to have that rule. It might be a dumb rule, but they have a right to have that rule. And I think the contractor then has to abide by it or not bid on the jobs. But this idea that you're not going to let the contractor, you know, the the, the idea that, you know, you're going to pull the contract because a couple of these guys show up with guns, I just think that that's absurd. I just flat out think it's ridiculous.
2: I agree, because... American Sewer Service has been doing business with the city of Milwaukee for as long as I can remember.
0: Well, right, and And, yeah, right, and and this idea that uh, okay, Bob Almond saying, well, this is why we don't hire contractors. Well, okay, you mean to tell me where where is the city? Going to get the type of skilled people who do the work that American Sewers, or that, that, that this company does, or other contractors do. It's just not reasonable. It's just not. Now, thanks to call. 414 799 1620. Kevin writes, I install garage doors for a company that advertises with you. We often work in the inner city, and our company has to send out an extra person to sit and watch the work truck while I work inside the garage. It is very disheartening to watch the crime rise and rise in Milwaukee. Yeah, isn't it interesting though? that that's not what these aldermen care about. It's that, well, you had white contractors who worked for this suburban company who who actually brought guns onto the onto the scene. This is terrible. We need it looking at pulling their, their contracts. Well, no, aldermen, why don't you wake up and try to maybe get concerned about why it is that people feel They need to bring firearms to protect themselves. Pulling the contract to the company? I mean, you know, come on. Let's talk to um, Jesse in North Milwaukee. You're in WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes,
0: sir. What do you think?
3: I stay down on 40th and North Avenue. We have city contractors around here in the the central city all the time. If there is a problem that they're being robbed and things of that nature, why aren't we being notified of that? I think a lot of, of, of the way that the contractors are coming down here and still is because of the way the north side of the city or the central city is being portrayed on the news. You know, uh, I, I haven't uh, – uh, like I said, I see contractors out here all the time. Now, if their trucks are being broken into, then I think a security system needs to be placed on their trucks. I don't think that the, the company should lose their contract because of this one – Incident. I think they need need to um, um, better train their employees. The supervisor should have seen those men before they left on their work site. So I'm quite sure they reported to their work site with those weapons uh, brandishing. So you you know just just a lot of changes need to be done within the company. I don't think they should lose their contract though.
0: Jesse, let me go back to the fr- I, and and I agree with you on that. Let me go back to the first point you were making. Um, you, you were saying, well, if if there's all these robberies and stuff, why aren't we hearing about it? Um, do you do you think crime, particularly in the city of Milwaukee, particularly in the inner city of Milwaukee, is is being overstated? Do you think it's not as bad as some people, including myself, perceive it to be?
3: I, I, I think on um, uh, you have to go by a neighborhood by neighborhood. Uh-huh. I live on 40th and North, and from 38th to Sherman Boulevard between North Avenue and, I would say, Center Street. We have no problems over here. But then when you go east of that, you may have some problems over there. I think the police know where the problem areas are, but because we have no patrols here in the neighborhood, I can uh, can drive through my neighborhood for hours and may see one patrol car that's responding to a call. So that's another reason why the crime rates are up. Yeah.
0: Okay. Good enough. I mean, I. And that, I mean, I, I. think that's a fair comment. I mean, I think it's. And I've always felt that's that same way too. I mean, it is a neighborhood, by by neighborhood thing. And I, I was kind of curious because, and you're talking about thirty eighth on of north west, uh, west of 38th on north versus east of that i i mean i, I think there are going to be tight pockets like that and all at the same time i mean i think all you have to do is look at the the number of car thefts and carjackings and things like that and you see it, it going i mean either through the roof or at an unacceptably high level i understand why guys would want to carry firearms i i get all that if the rules are you can't then then you shouldn't and my understanding is the company did I mean dealt with that. I mean that the guys that they found doing that, one got fired, two got suspended. To say to this company though, that's been doing business for years and years, gee, because you had a couple guys who brought guns onto a job site and because on another job site somebody found that this cooler that had this racist sticker on it that we're not going to do business with you anymore is I, I think absurd. It's one twenty three, this is Jeff Wacker, WTMJ. <laughs> One twenty-six. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, a caller, Jesse, said, yeah, you know, 38th and north to the west, not that bad. 38th and north to the east. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, uh, you had this horrible situation, 940 in the morning, what, yesterday? Um Food Mart employee on Milwaukee's northwest side shot to death on Sunday. The 40-year-old man was killed about 9.40 a.m. at the Food Mart in the 3800 block of West North Avenue, declared dead at the scene. Police are searching for a male suspect. Robbery may have been in, been the motive. I guess the, the, the bottom line of all this is I, I, I wish the alderman would be as concerned about the robberies and the murders and the assaults and the thefts as they apparently are over the image of a couple contractors showing up with guns on a work site. And I guess that's what's disappointing to me. It's easy to say, hey, we're going to make this company. They're bad guys. Look at that. They, they had a couple of white contractors who showed up with guns as opposed to dealing with, again, the issue where you got 40-year-old people who are being killed at 9.40 in the morning as part of robberies gone bad. Let's see, our text line has exploded. Worker guns for protection seems warranted. Grandstand photos with hateful images is intentionally provocative. Contractors should fire that guy if he's a rogue. Yes, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Let's see. Uh, Chris writes, I don't blame these guys for carrying guns. We had a family member who had a seal coating business that did city work in Chicago. He had to hire private guards who were armed to protect their equipment. How about the city get its act together and provide a safe work environment? Yes, I guess that's it. A little bit of concern about that instead of, uh, again, the grandstanding about what's the picture or what's this picture on social media. And, again, if you've got... If if you've got somebody that's sending racist emails, investigate it, prosecute them. If it turns out to be a hoax, expose that as well. I, you, know, you can't condone that sort of stuff. But the big picture is you, you've got violence, you've got crime, you've got people feeling a need to protect themselves. Why don't you try to deal with that? It is 128. Speaking of dealing with that, some of the women who say that President Trump assaulted them, they are back in the news. We're going to discuss it. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, here's the background. There's this group. It's a—it's an outfit called Brave New Films. It's a nonprofit group. that has been around for a while. Um, it, it's a left-wing organization. Its goal is promoting activism around progressive, in other words, lefty causes, through short, low-budget documentaries. group has a budget of about $2.6 million. Uh, the company has done things like videos about gun control. They're in favor of it. Mass incarceration. They're against it. In November, they came out with a, again, low-budget slash documentary-slash-film about Donald Trump. And... Um, and the what was it called? It was called six. I got it right here. It was called um, 16 Women and Donald Trump. So they brought this out. You probably didn't hear about it. No, no, I, I don't know if, how many people heard about it. But again, it's it's one of these pieces and it focuses on the various women who allege that they were sexually harassed in one form or another by President Trump before he was the, the president. Okay, so that's, that's the background. There's this movie. Today, three of the women who appear in that movie who have made claims in the past... Uh, decided to go public uh, again. It's not like it's not like this is a secret. they were they were all out there. and they appeared uh, on on Megan Kelly's TV show. Um, and this was advance in advance of a news conference that they were giving, you know, where they repeated you know the claims that they had made against um, President Trump when he was Donald Trump. Um, one of the women, let's see, a uh, New York woman, Jessica Leeds, who said Trump groped her on a plane. Uh, Rachel Crooks says that he kissed her on her lips at Trump Tower, and uh, the third one is Samantha Holvey. She's the former Miss USA contestant who said that an who said that Trump inappropriately inspected pageant participants you know he was one of the owners of the was it miss america or whatever and and he would like go into the back while they were dressing okay these these are all allegations that surfaced during the campaign so I, i don't think we're plowing new ground with any of this stuff washington post has a story about this and the way i mean this is the way it starts Let me me get to the top. Trump accusers renew sexual misconduct charged against him say it was heartbreaking to see him elected. As the country grapples with a national reckoning over sexual misconduct allegations against powerful men, three women who accused the most high-profile man in America again questioned Monday why their claims did nothing to stop him from winning the presidency. It was heartbreaking for women to go public with their claims against President Trump last year, only to see him ascend to the Oval Office, said Samantha Holvey. Again, she was the former Miss usa contestant i put myself out there for the entire world and nobody cared holvey said monday on megan kelly um she was again joined by these other women okay so so they're out there and they're repeating their claims and this was part of this overall thing that came out after that access hollywood tape you know surfaced with billy bush and trump you know and trump was saying what he was saying you know everybody remembers that all right but but here's the point uh so you you might ask, okay, why why today? Because like I say, these these aren't at least as far as I'm able to tell, these aren't new women, these aren't new allegations. This is stuff that's been out there, you know, dur- since during the campaign. The women called for Congress to investigate these allegations amid the dramatic shift happening nationwide in response to charges of sexual misconduct uh, against men. Right, that's the the act. That's the part of this I want to take up. Trump has denied all of the allegations against him. Um, Trump's position is the accusers are lying and that the issue was settled when he was elected president after the stories emerged. Alright, so the women are out there saying, we want a congressional investigation. All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question to you. Should there be a congressional investigation... And to what end? And, and, and this is this is why I say this. These, again, are, are not new allegations. These are things that were out there during the campaign. The general public, the public was aware of this. The voting public was aware of it. These women were out there. They were up front with this kind of stuff. And as, as the one woman says, she's upset, she's unhappy that she's told her story and that he still won. But he did still win after she told her story. So my question is, what would Congress investigate? She says it's true. They say it's true. I candidly am inclined to believe them. But, you know, he denies it. But regardless, he wasn't charged with a crime. He hasn't been charged with any sort of criminal behavior in connection with this. What is the point of a congressional investigation? Doesn't the fact that this was out there, that the voters had made their decision on this, doesn't that pretty much, at least from a perspective of uh, of taking any sort of action against the president, doesn't that put an end to it? Now, if they've got civil lawsuits, fine. They've got civil lawsuits. If they believe that there's a basis for some sort of criminal charge, well, you go to the DA, you tell that story. But what would Congress investigate? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am not, I don't, just believe them. I I, I don't. Um, candidly, I wouldn't be surprised if this type of stuff happened. As near as I can figure out, there are not allegations that he is engaged in this type of misconduct while he has, in fact, been in office. This is all stuff that, again, predated his election and was in, available to the general public. And the general public decided they don't care. Well, if, I don't know if it's fair to say they don't care, but at least as far as... Winning the presidency through winning enough states to get enough electoral college votes. Don't send in the email saying he lost the popular vote. He won the presidential election as we decide how presidents are chosen. What, what purpose do we have going over this in the form of Congress? Can you put out documentaries? Are they free to tell their stories? Absolutely. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 799 is lining up the calls. I, I hear him talking about wanting a congressional investigation, and my, my note was, what's the point? Okay, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 142. This is Jeff Wagner. In a few weeks, the FCC could vote to eliminate net neutrality. Gene Miller takes a look at what that could mean for you and your Internet experience in the Wisconsin's Morning News Podcast
3: on the WTMJ mobile app.
0: All right. Santa Jeff is here. The holidays are right around the corner. You still don't know what to get that special someone in your life. That's okay. I'm here to help, and you still have time. Give the gift that keeps on giving, the gift of a good night's rest. I'm talking, of course, about my pillow. I've told you before, it changed my life. I sleep a lot better now, and I don't wake up with that neck pain that I used to have. I don't know what it is about my pillow. I don't know if it's the firmness, I don't know about if it's the way it contours around your neck. All I know is these are really, really good things and it's a great gift to give to someone special this holiday season. Listen to this offer. It's the lowest pricing they have ever offered. Buy one my pillow, get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code Wagner. It is a gift that keeps on giving. It comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to lose. Just in time for the holidays. Take advantage of MyPillow's very best offer. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the buy one, get one free special, use the promo code Wagner, or call 800-953-4163, ask for the buy one, get one special. Again, you need the promo code, which is my last name, to get the buy one, get one offer. You can also use our promo code to get up to 50% off all items on the MyPillow website. It's a great gift. Ho,
3: ho, ho. Advents, Dr. Mutham Kandula explains minimally invasive in-office balloon sinuplasty. Balloon
1: sinuplasty is basically a way to open up the sinuses in the lowest key way possible. And so instead of making any cuts, instead of uh, removing tissue, what we're able to do is look in the nose of the camera up to where the sinus openings are, and we're able to expand it, the natural sinus opening. When we're making these openings we're creating bigger bony passageways so when we dilate that balloon it microfractures the bone and it takes an opening and gets it to however big the balloon is and so usually we use about a six millimeter balloon and we create a six millimeter opening uh, for the sinus to drain and it's not pushing soft tissue around it is literally creating a larger opening where there wasn't one before.
3: This groundbreaking 20-minute procedure could be your answer to breathing well and living better. Call 414-771-6780 today. Advanced. Ear, nose, and throat
1: specialists. Advent.md. Your drain is plugged. Who should you call? Call the original Roto-Rooter. They have the experience of dealing with any drain emergency. Call 1-800-GET-ROTO or schedule online at getroto.net. Call
3: Roto-Rooter.
0: 145. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, my producer, Groove, screens all these calls, and people just kind of hang up in the middle of the commercial break. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the, the news today is um, in conjunction with this documentary that's made by this left-wing group, um, you have three people who have in the past publicly accused Donald Trump of sexual harassment, bad behavior. And, and these they, they have this press conference. They do this interview and they, they say how frustrated they are that they came forward and he still ended up getting elected. And I can understand that. I, I don't disbelieve these women. The White House position is that they're all lying about this stuff. I, I don't I don't disbelieve him. I I just don't. I mean, I saw that Access Hollywood tape. I listened to the Access Hollywood tape. I listened to the comments that the president made. But they want a congressional investigation, to which my response is, to to what end? I mean, he's not in Congress. Um, This is, in all likelihood, not an impeachable offense. It's not something that occurred While he was in the White House, this isn't like, you know, he's doing whatever he's doing with a congressional intern and then lying about it. This is stuff that happened over the years. He denies it. They say it happened. I candidly probably tend to believe them. But what what is there for Congress to investigate? I mean, the answer is is nothing. Now, Congress. Could investigate Al Franken. I mean, I understand the Democrats forced Al Franken out. I'm very consistent about this. I, I didn't think he needed to go. I mean, I didn't think that I thought that this was a matter that belonged, again, because the misbehavior, with one exception with Al Franken, all the alleged misbehavior was before he went to the Senate. All right. Now, I, I got no love lost for Al Franken. But again, I, this wasn't like it was stuff that he was accused of doing when he was in the U.S. Senate. It was beforehand. And to me, that was a matter. It's now public. The voters of the state of Minnesota could have decided whether he belonged in there or not. But you know, he ended up getting forced out, I think, because of the politics of of all this, the politics being, hey, if Roy Moore wins tomorrow in Alabama, every Democrat that runs over the course of the next 10, 11, 12 months is going to say, hey, Republicans are soft on sexual harassment. We're going to make this the year of the woman again. And so Al Franken... He was the one that kind of got thrown under the bus. But I didn't think he needed to resign because of these allegations. I thought it was a matter that voters in Minnesota should be able to decide what the significance of that was. Similarly, I look at Trump. I Boorish behavior, no question of, about it. Boorish behavior in the extreme. I don't know if any of it would have risen to the level of being criminal behavior, but if it had been filed in a timely fashion. But I'm going to be the last person that... that you know, supports Donald Trump and the type of thing, the conduct that these women alleged that he engaged in. But it was presented to the voters. Elections have consequences. I admit I am surprised. Every once in a while I get these emails saying, you don't support Trump up 100% because, you know, you're you're still upset that you got the election wrong. I'm surprised that he won. I am surprised that, you know, he was able to survive all sorts of stuff and allegations like this. Yeah, I'm surprised. But elections have consequences. And the truth of the matter is... People heard these, and he still won the election. So what is there, what is there to investigate? Um, my answer, I think, would be nothing. All right, when we come back, big news on Friday. I know some people are extremely unhappy about it. I happen to think that justice was served. Stephen Avery's nephew, Brandon Dassey, is going to be staying in prison. We will discuss. It's 149. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 152 Jeff Wagner WTMJ hey, a little bit of um, kind of holiday related programming coming up in the next hour of the program some topics including rule but my, my wife told me I was not in the holiday spirit for something I did yesterday and we're, we're, I'm, we're gonna we're gonna, d- that. we're gonna discuss that discuss that because I I think she might have had a point point. But there's a lot of people who feel the same way I do about this particular story. So I'm going to share that with you. On um, Friday afternoon, the, the breaking news story was that Brendan Dassey, who is the nephew of Stephen Avery, was uh, by a four to three vote, the United States Court of Appeals, the full court of appeals for the Seventh Circuit, upheld his conviction. And uh, that means unless the Supreme Court takes the case, which they won't. I'll be shocked if they do. Uh, that means that Brendan Dassey will stay in prison for a long time. It, it just, I, I, time goes by, and as somebody who, who watched the trials of both Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey closely, it's it it's amazing that it's been as long as it has. Um, the, the murder of Teresa Halbach, who was a 25-year-old photographer who was lured to the, the Dassey residence, um, Halloween of 2005. I mean, this goes back 12 years. Um, Stephen Avery was found guilty following a jury trial in connection with that, that Halloween 2005 murder. For reasons that pass understanding, these documentary filmmakers produce this Netflix series Making of a Murderer, where they decide to try to make Avery the sympathetic figure and they I mean, it, it was like a movie. I mean, it, it really wasn't a documentary in the sense of presenting the facts as they were presented to the jury, but somehow, like Stephen Avery has been made this poster child, and what he is is he's a brutal murderer. Um, his nephew, Brandon Dassey, was, of course, you know, complicit in this, and Dassey gave a very, very detailed confession. They were tried separately. So the, the Avery situation really has nothing to do with the Dassey situation. In the Avery case, there was physical evidence tying him to the murder just out the gazoo. Um, in the Dassey case, the majority of the evidence came from you know his confession. Um, he, he gave statements to the investigators, and in, in the statements... He acknowledged his involvement in this. He offered details that you wouldn't have known if you wouldn't have been there. But at the time, he was 16 years old. So, And he was um, a, a slow learner. I mean, and maybe that just underplays it all. Well, the argument was that the confession was coerced, that he didn't understand. He couldn't knowingly intelligent and intelligently waive his, his rights against self-incrimination. He was a juvenile, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the case went through the state court system, and the state courts rejected that. They said, "Nope, nope, nope." Under the circumstances, the confession was voluntary. Uh, the matter then went to a federal magistrate judge, and these federal magistrate judges are are like junior judges. They're they're not appointed by Congress by the Senate, appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. They're hired by the judges to do routine work and prisoner appeals or routine um, work. The relatively new magistrate judge in Milwaukee's name is William Duffin I think surprised a lot of people by disagreeing with all the state courts and saying nope I I find this confession to be involuntary the case ultimately went up to the 7th Circuit Court of Appeals and the Court of Appeals like I say on Friday in a 4-3 to vote upheld the conviction which means that Brendan Dassey stays in in prison. I I know this is controversial because again I know that a lot of the discussion about this, and and people have informed themselves on this case not by watching the trial, but by watching "Making a Murderer." Feel free to disagree with me, but I I really I feel that justice has been done in this case. On, on Friday night, I was um, ran into a couple in in the bar of a restaurant after I had eaten, and was and they were we we just we got around to talking, and somehow this this case popped up, and, and the lady, very nice lady, she said, you know, I just can't help but feel sorry about Brendan Dassey, and, you know, I, I kind of followed that trial, and yeah, I believe that he really confessed, but I, I mean, he seems like a, a nice young man, and he kind of fell under the influence of his uncle, Stephen Avery, who seems to be really like an evil guy, etc., etc., you know, and she was talking, I just I, I just kind of feel sorry for him, and, you know, when, when people like kind of solicit my opinion, a lot of times when I'm on my own, I just... It's like, nah, that's work. I talk about this on the radio. But, and a very nice lady, and I said, and a regular listener, and I said, nah, I said, just let me just stop you there. I said, I mean, I watched those trials. There is no question in my mind that he murdered that woman. <laughs> you know, and I just, and, and I, he, he might be, he, he might have been under the influence of his, you know, dangerous psychopath uncle, you know, Stephen Avery. That's, that's fine. But the bottom line is you've got a 25-year-old woman who is dead, and at least in my opinion, she is dead in part because of the activities and and the conduct of Brendan Dassey. And I said, "I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, maybe it's unfortunate that this guy was uncle. It's unfortunate he was there that day. It was unfortunate that he chose to go along. But in my opinion, his confession is accurate he did choose to go along and you've got a 25 year old woman who is dead under the worst possible scenario and her husband i was kind of curious as to which way he was going to go and he's looking at both of us and he says i'm with jeff <laughs> I just got like, i he said yeah she she's dead he he admitted to doing it and and yes i believe his confession was voluntary in a legal sense and i think it was accurate and um again the victim, and it's just ever since this Making a Murderer came out, we have lost sight in some corners, I think, of who the true victim is, and it's not Brendan Dassey, and it's not Stephen Avery. The victim is this 25-year-old woman who was brutally murdered in 2005 for doing nothing more than showing up to take pictures of a bunch of cars. That That's who the victim of this case is. And candidly, if Brendan Dassey and Stephen Avery spend the rest of their lives in prison, I'm not gonna lose any sleep over it. Alright, when we come back, some holiday well, holiday related topics in a way, including my wife telling me I just wasn't in the Christmas spirit with something I did yesterday. Stick around, it's 159. This is Jeff Wagner. To eight Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. All right. So what did I do that wasn't necessarily in the holiday season? Oh, here, Here's a little bit of background. I, it is, As people know, I got married a couple months ago, and we're sort of in the, the, the process of I've got a house on the North Shore that's being renovated. It's probably too big a word for what's going on, but we're getting ready to sell. And so I I I've just, I've just filled up my fourth dumpster. Talk about dumpster. I filled up. My fourth dumpster, and we're pretty much done. The guy who's doing the work says, I don't think you need another. I actually think he's wrong. I think I need another one, but I'm, I'm going to hold off until I, I get the word. But I, I, four dumpsters were the stuff, and I, we've my wife and I have purchased another place um in Ozaki County and we we've been in the process of moving a lot of stuff out of my house into the basement of our place in Ozaki County and we got furniture ordered and then next Monday I've got some movers scheduled. We're really not moving that much stuff, but you know, whatever's being moved is being moved next Monday. So we're we're running around doing all sorts of things. Plus you've got work and you've got the holidays and you've got all this other stuff going on. And so we we have this like it's big calendar that's up there. Well, okay, so over the weekend I spent a lot of time, uh, again, at, at my place in North Shore trying to get it ready, and then yesterday we, we were there for a long period of time, my wife and I, my brother and my sister-in-law, and my nephew Alex, and we were just, you know, getting this all ready. Now, one of the things that happens, Grew, who's producing the show, is, as you know, I am not a big fan of shopping, but because of all the stuff going on, I have... I've had to keep going into stores for stuff. It's like, and it, and it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's just food. Okay, you know, we, we, we're, out of, we're out of soda at the house in the North Shore. People like to drink the soda. Go over and get a case of soda. Okay, so I'm doing that. Or we need this or that or the other thing. Run over to the hardware store. So I, I'm running in and out of stores a lot, which is, is fine. Well, what's been happening lately, and I understand that this is the time of giving, but yesterday, and I counted it, one, two, three, four different stores before this particular incident I went into. And it, it's not just enough to, to pay for your purchase. Oh, you, you owe $7.23. I swear, at every store I was at, they ask you, do you want to round up? Would you, okay, so it's $7.23. Would you like to give, you know, like 77 cents to fill in the blank, you know, whatever the cause is? I, and it's like time after time after time. It was interesting, I was in this one store, it was a hardware store yesterday, and there's a bunch of different registers, and the, the person at the register next to me, he's being asked to, I was asked to, like, round up to, like, $9. He was being asked to, like, contribute $2.70 to round up to something, to a completely different charity. But it seems like everywhere you go, that there, it's not just, here's your change, would you like to round up? Now, I understand you can say no, but, but and, and I do say no, it's just, on, on principle, I, I, I say no, and I always feel a little bit guilty about that, but... I, I donate money to the charities that I choose. And I'm not saying these aren't a worthwhile thing, but it's, no, I, if I'm going to donate the money, I'm going to donate it in a check, and I'm going to get the tax deduction, et cetera. So anyhow, long story short. So this is like every place I went yesterday. I swear they're asking that. So yesterday, last evening, at the end of a long day of moving stuff around, we were, my wife and I, were going over to her sister and so my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law's house and for, for dinner. And a very, very nice dinner, enjoyed it quite a bit, but we we needed to stop off and and you know you can 't go empty handed so we've been spending the the whole day like moving and things like that. so we go into this grocery store and end up i bought a I bought a six pack of beer because they don 't drink beer, so I, I brought a six pack of beer for me, and we bought a little like flowers and stuff to to bring so I get there and it's like it's like sixteen dollars and twenty sixteen dollars and twenty five cents, let's say. And the, the the nice young lady behind the counter says, "Okay, it's sixteen dollars and twenty five cents. Do you want to do you want to add seventy five cents and round up and donate the money to wherever?" And I think I said, "No, thank you." My wife heard, "No." <laughs> You know, but and and the truth is probably somewhere in, in between. You know, but and she was saying, well, you kind of snarled at her when you said no. You kind of sounded like that, that grouchy kind of Scrooge guy. And I said, well, I didn't mean to sound like the grouchy Scrooge guy. Scrooge guy, but I hate it when people ask you to do that. I would just as soon I, I, the Salvation Army bell ringers. I don't have an issue with because you know you can give the money or not. But I just I hate constantly being asked. You know when I'm in the, this line because I always feel there's this kind of implied pressure. And she said, "Well, you know, but it, it's not the clerk's fault. I mean, they're just told to do this." And I said, "Yes, that's that that's that's true, and, and you have a good point there. Um, so I'll, I'll try to be moving forward. I'll try to be nicer and more pleasant when I say no. But I, I just I don't like being solicited in that fashion. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. It seems to me. <clears throat> That this is happening more and more. Like I say, I went to four now with this grocery store. It was five different places, and I couldn't check out without being solicited, asked to give more money. And I, I just, I don't know why, but I hate that. I, I just, and it's, it's not the amount of money that's involved. I guess I feel there's this sort of implicit pressure there to give again these are all worthwhile causes and i would encourage anybody i mean if you know you want to write a check to the mac fund or make a donation to the mac fund i i i'd love to you know write a check for x amount of dollars but it just i guess you know would you like to give 73 cents to the mac fund no just give me my change 414-799-1620 that is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line I, i see this happening more and more at stores and I I do, I guess, feel it's a little bit coercive, and it kind of wears me down. Um, It is an easy way to give, and it's true that you don't notice stuff, and 50 cents here, 50 cents there, I guess, adds up. And I don't mean to be a Scrooge about this. And if I was overtly negative, as my wife tells me I was when saying that I wasn't going to give, I feel bad about that, and I'll work on it. But, But the general concept is I just flat, I don't like being solicited at the cash register. All right, 414-799-1620. Do you mind this, or is it just, well, you can always say no, and it's true that you can say no. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, let's see. As winter wildfires wreak havoc in Southern California, is there any end in sight to the path of destruction? John McCure and Melissa Barkley will have the latest during Wisconsin's afternoon news starting at 3 o'clock here on WTMJ. Okay, I didn't acknowledge this is perhaps a little idiosyncrasy of mine, but it seems to me, and, and I was counting yesterday, at all five different stores, grocery stores, hardware stores, whatever I went into, um, when, when you get up to the register, it's always, do you want to donate whatever amount of money it is to whatever cause it is and it just kind of wears me down i don't like and i understand you can say no i I get all that and believe me i mean i i have nothing against charitable giving it's just i i find that to be somewhat coercive and it wears me down and my wife tells me i told me i snapped at the young lady behind the counter at the grocery store i didn't mean to i so i just said no she said no it was the way you said no um sonia in brookfield you're on wtmj good afternoon Sonia
1: oh hi Jeff hi Sonia uh, first time uh first time caller longtime listener love your show <laughs> thank
3: you <laughs> um,
1: I completely agree with you the same thing happened to me every story that I walked into they asked me to round up and then I, I I rounded up the first few times thereafter I said no and felt guilty and I I just I completely agree with you yeah well it just it kind of
0: and, and again, I, son, you sound like somebody who, you know, who who donates to charities, as I Absolutely. do. They're, they're just, first of all, I think there's something coercive. You feel like people are looking at you like you're a cheap, you know, you know what, you know, yeah. if, if you don't round <laughs> up. And, and, and even though, I mean, they're like worthwhile causes, it's it's no. I mean, I want to I think about it, and I want to, if, if I'm going to write a check to X charity, I'm going to write a check to X charity, but I... I, I just just give me my change.
1: <laughs> I guess Absolutely, kind of... couldn't agree with you more. All right, thanks. I so... felt the same frustration. Well, yeah. Right.
0: Thanks. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Equinit Mortgage Talk and Text line. Yeah, I mean, I I understand that you know there, and, and it's and it's a great way of raising money. And I understand that a lot of people just you know say sure, and they don't they don't necessarily even even think about. It. I mean, like I say, the guy. The guy who was next to me in the hardware store, and it was one where they have like four registers that are all up, so you 're kind of next to each other and and they only asked me to you know round up you know a few cents, but him they asked, "Hey, would you like to donate you know would you like to round up you know two dollars and forty four cents to to something and you know he ended up saying yes without necessarily thinking about it, but I think there is i think there is that that coercive element to it that kind of you know gives you gives you a little bit of of pause or at least it gives me a little bit of pause okay four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 799 1620 that's the Ac- mortgage Talking text line if you're on the line please hold on we'll be with you in just a minute it's 220 this is Jeff Wagner It's 222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's one of those little, kind of, and I admit, it, it's sort of an idiosyncrasy, but it's just kind of like, nah, I'll put the money in the Salvation Army kettle, but give me a break. Okay, as long as we're talking about the holidays, let us switch gears. This is, of course, the, the, Currently, the last few months, starting with Harvey Weinstein, it's been the kind of like hashtag me too thing where, you know, more and more women are coming forward complaining about sexual harassment in the workplace, which is, of course, uh, appalling. There was there's a movie that came out not that long ago, maybe in fact even this year, Office Christmas Party. And if you saw the movie Office Christmas Party, it's I guess in it's very adult. And the, the the idea is, well, it's it's an out-of-control office Christmas party. Lots of alcohol, lots of unacceptable sort of conduct. And it's the type of thing that seems really, really dated, even though it's a recent movie, because you watch this thing and you say, eh, not, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen now, even though the movie didn't come out that long ago. It's always one of these issues in the workplace, because when you have... Men and women, and, and, and let's face it, um, the workplace, continues to be, uh, you know, one of the top places where people end up meeting folks who go on to be their spouses. I mean, that that's that's just it. And there is dating that occurs in a workplace. Now, that's not the same as sexual harassment. I get that, and I'm not equating that type of thing. But you do have interaction, and the truth is, that's where a lot of people meet each other. You know, you say, you know, where'd you meet each other? Well, we, we work together. Now, again, it creates problems sometimes when you have, first of all, people who don't Take no for an answer. Who don't you know? Who engage in the sexual harassment when you have people at different power levels and all those type of things? It creates all sorts of issues, um, and you've always got that that sort of tension that's going on in in the workplace. But also recognizing that it's where people do on on many occasions, you know, meet the people that they end up with their, their spouses for the rest of their lives. Um, the problem comes in when you have events that are that are sanctioned in the office. I mean, for example, it's one thing if you've got a couple, if you've got a man and a woman, and they decide, hey, you know, we're gonna meet on our own time, outside of work, and we're gonna go to dinner or whatever. Now obviously that can create issues, like I say, if it's a boss and a subordinate and it, it can create issues if you've got to work together and the thing goes bad, all that different type of stuff. But but at least in some of those situations it's you're meeting outside of work. The office Christmas party is something very, very different. A friend of mine sent me, forwarded this, this tweet to me, and it, and it said, it was like one of these things that, you know, she had seen somewhere and forwarded on it. And the headline was um, something like, this might not be the best year to hang the mistletoe at the office Christmas party. And, and I said, yes. matter of fact, I ran into her and I said, well, yeah, actually this might not be the best year to have that office Christmas party. Story in the New York Times over the weekend. Um... Remember the scene in the movie Office Christmas Party where the head of human resources grabbed the DJ's microphone and told employees to have sex in the parking lot instead of in their cubicles? Wait, you didn't see it? Well, anyways, those days are over even in jest. Holiday gatherings have become toned down affairs as executives respond to demands to cut costs, improve company morale, and this year address sexual harassment in the workplace more companies are focusing their efforts on holiday parties that promote teams and foster cooperation a growing favorite are parties at bowling alleys and escape rooms events with a manageable size and guest list Um, many companies limit the the drinks to two drink tickets at the holiday party therefore putting a chill on alcohol consumption other companies are taking a more stringent approach cutting out liquor altogether 414-799-1620 That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I have worked in various places, both in the public sector and the private sector, and I've kind of seen the evolution of Christmas parties, holiday parties, whatever you want to call them. When when I worked in the public sector, obviously the the government didn't pay for the the parties, so it was one of those where everybody had to chip in, which, you know, had – you know, its own limitations. When I worked in private practice, I mean, I worked at, you know, at law firms and that was kind of a big deal. You know, the holiday Christmas party was something that everybody looked forward to. Now, that was a long time ago. And here at this company, over the course of the last 20 years, it's gone through different iterations from big stuff to uh, more toned down stuff, you know, including stuff like in the office. I will tell you, um, if the office Christmas party goes away I, and again I don't want to sound antisocial but I'm, I'm not gonna miss it I mean I, I think you know sort of a potluck thing during the day something like that i I think that's fine but the big the big blowout bash where you go out and you rent out the place and you have the party and it's open bar i I think that that's one of the things that candidly maybe it was something that you know our parents or our grandparents you know look forward to that type of stuff I, I think in general if the office Christmas party, as I'm talking about, again, not the not the potluck lunch or something like that, you know, in the workplace, but the full-blown blowout with the open bars and all those things, if that goes the way of the dinosaur... I don't think a lot of people are going to miss it. And candidly, my guess is, especially with the climate the way it is now, there's more and more lawyers that are probably sitting there and they're talking to their clients and you're saying, you realize that there's all these liability issues, there's all these sexual harassment issues. You know, you take this, you throw this big old party where there's all sorts of free alcohol and stuff. It is almost a recipe for disaster. Four one four seven nine is the accident mortgage talk and text line. If the office christmas party were to go away would you miss it um candidly i, I think uh, honestly the thing is nice and and if companies have a little bit of extra dough i don't know i'd rather have the bonus <laughs> i mean all right that the money you're going to spend on let's say it's 25 bucks a piece to do the office christmas party i'd rather have the 25 dollars. does that make me a screen a, a belinda okay i mean you're laughing okay right I just never thought about it before. Well, right, but just, okay. Just give me the money. Well, well, well Exactly. I mean, it, okay. If it's going to be twenty-five bucks, if that's what it's going to cost, or twenty bucks, would you rather a gift card for twenty bucks? Gift cards are always nice with me, man. I, yeah, exactly. See, always good with Belinda. All right, we'll keep that in mind. Four one. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep that in mind moving forward. Please there. do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Four one four seven nine nine <laughs> one six twenty. That is the Acumen Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I think the office parties are starting to disappear. I mean, and, and you know what? I don't think I don't think people are going to miss them. Two thirty-five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This time of year is a good opportunity for kids to learn about giving back. Jane Matinier shares the story of one local girl who's raised over four hundred dollars for Kids to Kids Christmas. That's at five fifty-one tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Julene in Pewaukee, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay. The, the demise of the office Christmas party. You going to miss them?
1: Well, fortunately, I retired at the end of last year, but the 13 years I did work there, there was a huge party at the Pfister, mm-hmm. and people got uh, too much drinking. Bl- blotto? Blotto. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I was going to say uh, snockered.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um, and then, you know, someone would rent rooms, and some of those parties got a little out of line. Mm-hmm. So I think people, the employees have done it to themselves.
0: Yeah. Well yeah I mean and,
1: you know,
0: I mean if I'm the lawyer but, Jul- Julaine, if I'm the lawyer for whatever company it is that you work with and some people get rooms but some people don't i mean i'm saying, you know one of the things you're saying is okay what happens somebody goes to the office christmas party they get liquored up they're driving home and they hurt themselves or they hurt somebody else what is your liability as the company for providing them with the liquor do you know and, and you know do you do you even want to go down this route and i i think concerns about drunk driving are one of the legitimate things that have employers scaling it back
1: yeah uh Way things are going in this world now, companies can't afford to have losses up the wazoo.
0: Um, yeah, no, th- thanks for calling. And see, and again, it's it, again, it's, it's one of these deals where, you know, from the company perspective, and you say, okay, well, we'll get a rumor. We're also, let, let's face it, alcohol can make people do stupid things, and, and so you, you have. I mean, it's just, in many respects, It's and especially in the, the era of the Me Too type of stuff, you, you've got the the guy that's has the three or four drinks and that bad side of his personality comes out or the inhibitions come out or, or, or whatever, and stuff that goes on that's just going to create issues moving on. I mean, I understand why companies are trying to scale this stuff back. Tim, who's calling us from Illinois. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hey, good afternoon to you. What do you think? I think it's a great idea that they don't have the alcohol at the Christmas parties. Um, I've been with the retailer for the, the world's largest retailer for thirty years, and since then, no alcohol or no dancing allowed at our Christmas parties.
0: <laughs> no dancing. Huh?
2: No dancing either. I mean, they got a DJ, but it's just, it's a fun and it's a fun atmosphere. You bring the kids you want to, and nobody's getting out of line. Nobody's getting rude. I mean, it's just it's a great thing. I think all Christmas parties should be like that, just to see what it's like to be around your yeah. parents, uh coworkers, what. How oh, they normally are. What it's like to be with that you know with that company or whatever. Well, we
0: well you know, and it, you know, Tim, what we've done here, and we've we've had all sorts of things. I mean, we we've had you know the the big um, you know Christmas parties off premises on Saturday nights for the last couple of years, uh, and and part of it too is that you know part of it too. I, I don't know about you, but I. I, I, this is a time of year where a lot of people are really busy. You know, you you know, even fi- finding that Saturday night or something to spin away is is a little bit hard. Now, now, what we typically do is they they have they have like a holiday open house. You know, where they they, they cater a lunch. It, it's quite nice, and there's not alcohol, and it's just you get a chance to, you know. And unfortunately for me, a lot of times it goes on when I'm working. You know, in the air, but that's okay. But everybody else gets to enjoy it. You get to socialize. And it's fine, and I, I think it's just a great thing as opposed to here, you know, let's have the big party on a Saturday night where inevitably, you know, something – there's at least the potential for something that bad to happen. Correct. Yeah, and I got it. Th- thanks for calling. Now, again, it's, and again, it's it's just – when you see these office parties, you look at some of the old movies and all, and you see, gosh, that doesn't go on like that anymore. And, well, there's a reason for that. Scott in Greendale. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hey, my friend. Now, you know that I love you, but I disagree with you on this one. Well, you can
0: disagree. Okay. You yeah. you, you, you want that drunken brawl at the office party, huh? <laughs> yeah,
2: right, right. No, you know, I mean, I guess if you look at it from the drinking perspective and people are starting to kind of make that point from the drinking perspective, okay, I understand. There's always a few people there that just that can't handle their liquor and that probably uh, drank too much. I do think there's ways to deal with that, whether it be the previous caller's uh, company just saying, hey, no alcohol here, or I liked your idea with the tickets.
0: Yeah, that's um, what, and we've know. done that for, when, when we do have the off premises thing, you'd get like two tickets. You get two drink tickets to kind yeah, of, yeah. And yeah.
2: I, you know, I would just, I would approach it like this the holidays are crazy, and they are completely stressful and um, and everyone is absolutely busy galore. But you know what? In this day and age of technology, in this day and age of isolation, when you sit down next to someone, no one even looks up at anyone anymore. Everyone's down in their cell phones, on their apps, doing this and that. I just think, and I'm a traditionalist, clearly, I'm showing that, um, I just think it's a great idea, especially in corporate America right now, where it's always, always, always about the bottom line, about the money and about the stock price and about this. And these people are getting fired because we have to increase the bottom line. And I just think it's a, it's a good, healthy thing for people from a humanistic mm-hmm. point of view. And quite frankly, isn't you know, Christmas spirit, that's what it's all about. You
0: would know? you rather have a, if, if the choice was a Christmas party, a holiday party, whatever you want to call it, or a uh-huh. bonus, what would you take, the dough or the party?
2: definitely
0: the christmas party Absolutely. definitely okay <laughs> interesting yeah. no no. thanks right. for the call. i right. know i know happy merry christmas to you scott yeah it's um see one of the things that and i'll, I'll just speak for the, the company where i work for i mean one of the things that we do and i i give management a lot of credit for this and i mean it sincerely is they they will have during the course of the year opportunities for everybody to get together in in the fact like in the summer they have a they have a during the workday, though, you know, they they have a picnic or something like that where, again, they bring in caterers and do that and and do it. So, you know, you can interact, but it's, it's you know, during the workday, and it's a more controlled sort of situation. And I, I actually, I mean, because I, I do think that there's a, a value to that. One of the, you know, we're just, December 16th is when we first air our the, the radio play. One of the things I think from a staff perspective we all enjoy is that because – We all work at different times. It's it's interesting. I almost never get a chance to see the people that that work at nights or on the weekends. Um, But... You know, so you don't get a chance to, to see everybody that works here. Well, one of the things that I think we all enjoy is the week before we do the Christmas show, the radio play. Um, we we all get together and we have a table read. And we get together at some local bar, and I, I think the company buys two drinks for everybody if you know if you want, and, they, and some hors d'oeuvres. And you sit around, and you do the table read, but it's one of the few chances that I think people get to to see. All the other people, and you get the entire staff together in a room, and it, and it is quite nice. So I appreciate what Scott's talking about, about the need to socialize, and I'm certainly not discouraging that. I'm just saying that these traditional office Christmas parties, let's have a wild time, those are, I think those are going the way of the dinosaur. It is 2.42. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, another holiday theme discussion. Um, all right, I I tell you, there are Grinches out there. There are real Grinches out there. I'll tell you about one such Grinch, and we'll discuss in just a minute. 243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We have our winner of the uh, $100 gift certificate, the Diamond Nexus. Um, That's part of our holiday shopping spree hey one of our uh, at the end of the event we will be giving a hundred dollar gift certificate away to all our a spo- hundred dollar gift certificate away to one lucky listener um from all our sponsors all right uh, actually the office christmas party a lot of texts it'd be nice to have an office christmas party it might work at my work it's just greasy pizza at the end of the day um let's see here's another one we had our company party this past friday it was a pain in the donkey to get to i didn't win anything and the party itself was the same as the last three i went to i hope ours bites the dust um here's another one i really don't care to hang around with the people i work with at a christmas party um and then a serious note sad that we hold corporations or businesses responsible for adults that can't act as adults steve says it's not just you jeff i feel the same way yeah that's it's all those different factors that are out there okay um, Got to turn it over to John McCure in less than fifteen minutes, so we we don't have as much time as I'd like on this topic. But I am. It, it is it is the continuing war on on Christmas. Um, it, it, the it's called the College at Brockport in New York, um, and they have sent out a memo to all the faculty there. And here's what here's what the memo says. It says holiday decorators. If you are planning a holiday display on campus, please consider an inclusive approach to your creativity. Displays that feature exclusively single themed decorations may be well-intentioned, but they can marginalize those who celebrate other religious and cultural beliefs During the season, Um, they write, uh, let's see, it's the Office of Diversity and Inclusion posts a long list of suggestions. This holiday season should be considered an opportunity to demonstrate cultural sensitivity and inclusivity by acknowledging multiple cultural traditions rather than imposing or endorsing a single tradition on everyone. Keep decorations general and non specific to any religion, the college recommended. Create a winter theme with lights and color rather than religious icons, or include decorations from all the cultural traditions represented in your department. So, in other words, uh, toss the poinsettias and do whatever. Um, For holiday parties, the college recommends a multicultural potluck buffet that respects religious dietary restrictions. The college said the suggestions mean to ensure inclusiveness and respect for a wide range of religious and cultural customs all year round. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. I think it is ridiculous to to suggest that at Christmas season we limit people's ability to decorate to reflect the fact that it is in fact, Christmas. Now, like I say, if, if you're Jewish and you want to hang a Star of David on, on the on the door or decorate like that, that that's fine. If you do want to do a, a multi, quote-unquote multicultural display where you've got the Star of David together, where you've got a menorah together with, I, I don't know, a manger or whatever, I, I think that that's fine. But this idea that to be inclusive means that you can't recognize what is really going on which namely is this is the christmas season i think is ridiculous 4147991620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line all right do we need to make christmas decorations do we need to make them more inclusive should we not even be thinking about things in terms of christmas decorations nowadays in places like colleges, universities, public settings, should we be trying to essentially dumb down the Christmas experience to represent, well, let's make it a winter party. Let's make it winter decorations. Let's do away with any sort of religious symbolism at all. And then, I just love this, create a winter theme with lights and colors rather than religious icons. I mean, I would say nuts to that. We... (laughs) I have enjoyed immensely driving around this area over the last couple weeks and seeing all the spectacular displays of, yes, I'm going to say it. Hope you're ready for it. Seeing all the spectacular displays of Christmas lights that are out there. I love the Christmas decorations. You know, it's you. you drive through downtown Milwaukee. You know, and, and you wouldn't necessarily know that it's Christmas. If you look at the lights that they have up there, again, they this is the type of advice that the city of Milwaukee has found. It's all these blues type type of things. It's sort of this neutral stuff. They are the classic example of holiday lights. Well, nuts to holiday lights. I mean, this is Christmas time, and this idea that, well, maybe we're going to actually have some decorations that reflect the idea that it's Christmas, and maybe we're going to, maybe we're going to have some Santa, even if you want to take the religious element out of it, the idea that we're going to have We're going to have some Santa Clauses. We're going to have some Rudolphs. We're going to recognize that, you know, this is the time where at least a lot of people, you know, celebrate, again, the return of the Christmas season. This idea that we have to go for inclusiveness over celebrating the season that exists, I think, is nothing short of absurd. And yet that's, again, what the social justice warriors out there are trying to push. All right. It is 2.52. When we come back in just a couple minutes, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.